Hundreds of thousands of women marched in protest yesterday, upset because... Actually, I don't know why they're upset. You know, they're women. They're always getting upset about something. But not all women were welcome at the I'm a woman, so I get upset a lot march. You see, about half of women say that a baby growing inside their bodies is a precious individual life with the same right to exist as any of the rest of us. The other half of women say, nah, babies annoy me, let's kill it. Well, it turns out the kill the baby crowd feel that the good people are not real women and can't join the march. Now, you may say, whoa, wait a minute, how can someone say that a woman is not a woman if she's a woman? <laughs> what is there, some sort of identity council that decides your identity for you? Yes, there is. The Identity Council is an august body of leftists, hysterics, and buffoons, but I repeat myself, that meets in secret once a month to determine what everyone's identity is. Only the Identity Council can decide if someone has the right to be a woman or black or gay. This is an important job because women, blacks, and gays are victims. And being a victim is the very best identity you can have because victims can tell everyone else what to do and think and can legally steal other people's money. Now, in order to become a victim, you can't just be, you know, a victim. You have to believe what victims are supposed to believe. Let's say, for instance, you're a white female gazillionaire pop singer. Wow, aren't you lucky? Not at all. If you believe in abortion, then according to the Identity Council, you're a woman and therefore a victim and can now make speeches about how hard your gazillionaire life is. Conversely, if you're a black female waitress who's just scraping by and you don't believe in abortion, then you're a white male, and your money can be taken away to pay for the abortions of gazillionaire white pop singers. Likewise, if you're a black descendant of American slaves who works your way out of poverty to become a Supreme Court judge, but you're a conservative, sorry, according to the Identity Council, you're a white man and can't be included in a museum dedicated to African-American achievement. If you're a man who has sex with other men but support Donald Trump, you're not gay. But if you're a man and you put on a dress and vote Democratic, you're a woman and can begin making demands on other people's wallets and belief systems. Now, you may say, wait. An identity council like that isn't really about identity. It's just about using imaginary victim status to consolidate power so that a small number of privileged people can impose their values on the rest of us. If you say that, then you're a sane, rational, honest adult living in a fact-based universe. Or as the identity council would say, a white male. Sorry. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, Hooray, hurrah, what a weekend. What a weekend. We have Oscar-winning cultural correspondent Michael Knowles and feminist icon Michael Knowles, I should add, was out at the Women's March, and he is going to report from there from the perspective of a woman that he would be if he were. And for the rest of it, I have got to say, this this is now, the world has gone insane. The world is now officially crazy. All sides, right, left, everybody is now crazy. This is your island of sanity. We are clinging to the Andrew Clavin show 
as an island of sanity. And here's the thing. It's going to be nuts out there, and you're just not going to make it without good underwear. Right? I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, the harder it gets, the better your underwear has to be. And that is why we are selling Mac Weldon. I will tell you, I wore Mac Weldon underwear. This is absolutely, this may be too much information. All weekend long, I hiked in it. I exercised in it. I, this stuff is so comfortable. Imagine the most comfortable underwear you have ever worn and the easiest website to shop in and then put them together, and that's, that's Mac Weldon. It is so easy to shop. They've got underwear, they've got socks, they've got those hoodies. That last time I brought in that beautiful hoodie, I don't know what they make this stuff out of, but it is just incredibly comfortable. And if you don't like it, you can send the first one back. If you don't like it, they want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like the underwear, you can send it back. Go to MacWeldon.com, and you can get 20% off if you use the promo code CLAVEN. Let me spell that for you. It is K-L-A-V as in Victor, A-N. K-L-A-V as in Victor, A-N will get you 20% off your underwear. Not, it's, not, it's off the price of the underwear. It's not 20% smaller underwear, because that would just be uncomfortable. This is an incredibly comfortable underwear. Go there, put in the promo code CLAVEN, you'll get 20% off at MacWeldon. So, I got to say, I I had the the pleasure and privilege of going to Vermont. I told you I was going to go on Mark Stein's show. So, it was me and Mark Stein watching the inaugural together, just chatting about what was happening. I was so happy to see Obama's chopper take off. That was so beautiful. (laughs) My, oh, my. What a wonderful day. All right, all right. That's that's the happiness montage. At this point, Obama is going to be gone forever now. We can't play the happiness montage every day. It's just too long. Many people felt slightly differently about this whole thing and about Trump taking office. I just have to play, before before we get into talking about what actually has happened over the weekend, I have to play the—here's the media reaction. Here's Joe Scarborough talking about what happened in one of the biggest newsrooms in the country. There was somebody that held an extraordinarily important position in American media, in print media, who brought their people together after Hillary Clinton lost and literally said, we did the best we could do. We tried and we failed, but we did the best we can do. And there were people crying in this newsroom. I'm not going to say which newsroom it is. It was a very big newsroom. And and it said we did the best. You're down to three papers. Well, you're, you're, <laughs> da- you're damn straight I am. I- <laughs> All right, you're down to three papers. Actually, he's down to two papers because the three papers they're talking about are the New York Times, a former newspaper, and the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. And we know it wasn't the Wall Street Journal, right, because <laughs> they can live with Trump. So it, we, you were talking about the New York Times or the Washington Post. We tried. We tried to stop him, but we failed. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo. And if you wanted to see a little bit, you wanted to see the version, the showbiz version of that. All you had to do was turn on Saturday Night Live, where Cecily Strong (laughs) unbelievably sang a goodbye to Barack Obama from an old Sidney Poitier movie, already kind of weirdly racist and this kind of bizarre thing. But this is To Sir With Love. Let me just tell you, To Sir With Love, Sidney Poitier plays. This is a genre of film. He plays the teacher who goes into the tough British neighborhood and tames the kids and teaches them. And they're all so grateful to him that they sing this song. It becomes the theme song. She's singing it to Barack Obama. Listen to this.
little, a little pitchy, darling, a little pitchy, but uh, we'll, we'll move you on to the next round. What the hell are these people talking about? It's so disgusting. This is the president of the United States. He took us. Thank you for taking us from crayons to perfume. I mean, that's not creepy. And then, and then to serve with, I mean, unbelievable. These guys are fit for fascism. They are cut out for the fascist mold. And it was, it's just, I was so, just so delighted to see that dude take off. And my feeling is, fare thee well, my friend, and have a great retirement. So then Donald Trump stands out and he makes this speech and everybody's been analyzing this speech to death. And I, I'm going to analyze it a little less in some ways because a lot of it, you know, the guy, it's very hard to know what Trump is going to do. And a lot of what we want, what I feel is going to be important about the Trump administration is not all the noise, that, that will have its importance, but it's going to be what he does. But let's take a look. I, I had mixed feelings about the speech. I mean, look, we can't, we're not going to be sane. We are not going to be sane if everything that Trump does is great. We're just not going to talk that way because we know he's volatile. We know he can be undependable. We know he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't quite have a philosophy shaped yet. So we, let's let's call him as we see him so we, at least on this little island, are not going crazy with everybody else. So he starts off the speech with a line. I, I almost, when I say I could have written it myself, I actually suggested a line just like this to the Ted Cruz campaign when Cruz was still running. Let's hear that opening thing where he talks about giving power back to the people. Today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another, but we are transferring power from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. Washington flourished, but the people did not share in its wealth. Politicians prospered, but the jobs left and the factories closed. The establishment protected itself, but not the citizens of our country. Their victories have not been your victories. Their triumphs have not been your triumphs. And while they celebrated in our nation's capital, there was little to celebrate for struggling families all across our land. So I, I love this. I mean, this is not only speaking the hearts of the people who elected him, it's also speaking the intentions of the founders. This is what the, is supposed to be government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And that's what it has not been. A man who rules with a pen and a phone, a guy who passes executive orders, who doesn't care if the other party, you know, defies him every step of the way. He's just going to do it himself. That is not government by the people, a guy who rules by regulation, which Obama has done. It's a very underreported story, but the regulations in this country have exploded, and that means every little thing you do, uh, you can some unelected bureaucrat can come and take you out. This is great stuff. And I love the press. The press always finds one word. They have a talking point. They all use it. So everybody's dark. It was a dark speech. What I love about this is that the left can come out and say, if we don't stop driving cars, the world will be destroyed. That's not dark. That's not dark because everybody knows it's not true. In the same way that when Barack Obama says he opposed gay marriage, they never hold that against him because everybody knew it wasn't true. The problem is when Trump talks, he kind of means some of this stuff. And they, like, they think like, oh, well, wait, we're going to be blamed for what we did to this country? That's not good. Then he goes on and he goes into something, I guess, 
we can call some kind of neo-isolationism, talking about the fact that we're no longer going to try to impose our way of life on the world. We will seek friendship and goodwill with the nations of the world, but we do so with the understanding that it is the right of all nations to put their own interests first. We do not seek to impose our way of life on anyone, but rather to let it shine as an example. We will shine for everyone to follow. And by the way, this is what conservatism used to look like. This is what conservatism used to look like. We don't want to impose our will. We're not imperialists. We will just shine and everyone will become like us because they'll see how great it is. You know, President Reagan used to say that he wished he could take the premier of Russia and put him in a plane and just fly him over what a normal middle class suburb looks like in America because to a, a Soviet, it would have looked like heaven on earth. It was incredible. You know, all our all our uh, uh, socialist uh Folk singers like Pete Seeger were going, oh, it's ricky-ticky-tacky, you know, this Levittown. People in this world would kill to live in Levittown, to have a house and a lawn and, a, and your kids going to a safe school. I mean, that, that stuff was beautiful stuff, but not to the left. It was, oh, it was conformist. It was soul-killing. It was destructive. Better to live in a, you know, a Dasha, you know, in a uh, little Soviet apartment huddling without, you know, without heat. So, so this stuff, this is a change. This is a change from... Uh, certainly from George W. Bush's freedom agenda, spreading freedom around the world. It's even a change from the kind of post-war idea that now we are the leaders of the world and we are going to transform everybody into us. Again, how much of a change is going to depend on the policies? And since we don't know those yet, I suspect it's, you know, he's meeting with Theresa May this week. He's talked about restoring our ties to Israel. I feel like it's probably going to look a little bit more like Reagan than it does like, you know, that George W. Bush. So I'm, I, I was not too concerned that we're going to get seriously isolationist in a world where if you become isolationist very quickly, the bad guys are at your door. I mean, that was the lesson of World War II. You can't stay isolationist forever because the bad guys, one day there's a knock at the door and you open it up and it's Hitler, you know. It's not, it's not a great idea. So finally, there was this 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 trade stuff, which has bothered me about Trump from the very beginning, it continues to bother me. Here he is on trade. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. Two things about this, and then we're going to have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. But before I do, just two things about this. One is protectionism never works. It just, it just never works. The only thing about that is, I'll say, in Trump's favor is he's a practical guy. He's not an ideologue. If he does protectionist things like Nixon did and it doesn't work, he'll probably change it. You know, it's 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 the wrong way to go. But who again, who knows what his policies are going to be? We're not sure yet. Uh, he, today, he's supposedly renegotiating or starting renegotiations on NAFTA, which is probably a very good idea. And he is allowed to do that because it's not a treaty, uh, per se. A treaty would have to be voted on by Congress, but it doesn't have to be. He can renegotiate it. You know, this thing about um, th this thing about the way he treats other people. You know, I'm go I am going to have to say goodbye first to Facebook and YouTube and come on over to thedailywire.com and I'll finish my sentence and you can hear it there. <laughs> 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 well,
what the hell was I talking about? <laughs> so, so anyway, all, all I'm saying is that you know, it, free trade it is something that it lifts all boats, it lifts everybody up, but it does mean that certain cheap jobs leave town and go to other countries. How he is going to fix that, I can't. Ima- I, I seriously can't imagine. I think that if he can keep jobs here, however, if he can say, uh, lessen regulations today, he was talking about getting rid of 75 percent of regulations. If he does that, I will kiss his absurd hair. I will kiss his absurd hair. I mean, because that is that is the source of so much tyranny. So right after this, right after this, the world goes nuts. And there's there's stuff to talk about how the Trump people also went nuts. But before we do that, let us bring in our Oscar-winning cultural correspondent uh, and feminist icon, Michael Knowles. We sent him out into the Women's March, um, you know, because he likes to dress up. And, you know, it's just something we kind of indulge here. We're, this is a very tolerant uh, place, and we just let him do that. What do you see out there? Can, have we got him? I know this is really hard. We've got to get the satellite to get uh, <laughs> I I cannot believe we have moved this guy into the same room and we can't get the... There he is! Oh, my Lord! This is... It's the 21st century! This is so exciting! How you doing, pal? Great. I wanted to thank you, by the way, for my assignment this weekend. Yes. Because uh, it seems to be whenever you send me out somewhere, women take their shirts off. <laughs> it's, it, I guess it's you, right? I mean... I, I'll choose to <laughs> This is feminists trying to prove that... What? What are they... What, what is the point of this? So the purpose... I talk to a lot of these yeah. people. I talk to you great length, actually. Yeah. Uh, the purpose is to desexualize the female body. Oh, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert, it didn't work. <laughs> and then if they, if they succeed, then what happens? How do we reproduce? <laughs> That's a question. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the signs I saw at the Women's March in L.A., and there were, uh, it was when I was there, probably about 10,000 people. There were a lot of people in yeah. downtown. Um, one of the signs said, not all women are born with vaginas. Uh-oh. That's that's a tragic that's a tragic uh, statistic. Yeah, it's true. But yeah. They, they seem to be uh, it seems to be feminism just eating itself. The snake eating its own tail. You know. <laughs> uh, so so let's let's get down to it. What are these guys protesting? What are they? Nothing's happened yet. What are they protesting? Well, I was there, and therefore I can tell you, I have no idea what they were protesting. <laughs> that's, I was I afraid no you were going to say that. Yeah. I mean, do they have any anything besides Madonna is put upon because some something something something? I, I don't. Know. I wish I could show you more video clips. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the audio isn't great, but much more importantly. They're too vulgar. They're, they're, every single word on these signs was the F word, and it was gigantic paper mache vaginas. See, see, this is women. Women feel, or feminists feel. I shouldn't say it's not women. I shouldn't say women. It's it's this very small. I mean, a lot of people turned up for this because they're. Po- Politically against Trump, but this this feminist thing that of being vul- so vulgar and so uh, base and all this stuff. This is their idea that men are allowed to be like this, but women aren't, and women get uh, scored for not being nice, so they're not going to be nice. Bad, bad move. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's like David McCulloch says: to to write well is to think clearly, which yes. is why it's so hard. And yeah. that really does explain. I asked at least a dozen of the people protesting what it was they hoped to achieve and what they were protesting. And I couldn't get a straight answer out of anybody. You can see we pulled up uh, some of the signs. One said, free the people, 
F your borders. F your borders. And ICE, uh, Immigration Enforcement, out of L.A. I'm not quite sure what that has to do with women. But there were a lot of others like this. And then do we have a clip? Uh, We tried to get a video clip of one of the interviews I did uh, with... uh, Yeah, let's see if we can play that. Show me your son and tell me about it. So the sign says, Genocide, Theft, and Rape. America was never great. She's hoping to dismantle the idea of American exceptionalism because from the moment that Europeans came into this land, they ruined everything, they oppressed people, they marginalized people, and... And then, and we can cut it here because I can't really. Not only can I not really hear the audio, but I don't want to watch it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but the the conclusion that she reached is that uh, this march is really about so much more than women. And I asked how that is, and she said the essence of modern feminism is intersectionality. Intersectionality, which means so I'm intersectionality ask, yeah. basically means that only straight white men who think they are men are really the evil ones, and everyone else is somewhat uh, oppressed. And they may be oppressed differently, and those groups might not like each other, and they may uh, feud with each other, but really, they all have to unite against the common enemy, which is straight white men who think that they're men. You know, what what gets me about this is a lot of these people are financed by George Soros, right? And George Soros, is he's like a cartoon villain. He's like a villain from one of these superhero movies. I'm always complaining that superhero movies are, are too simplistic because the villains are just plain evil. But George Soros is like these guys. And all he wants, he wants to, he has said that America is in the way of us all living in peace. Israel is in the way of us all living in peace. He's attacking the idea that we should be nations. This is basically what he's giving Trump a reason for being. He, he is the reason. Trump exists because people are battling back against this idea of globalization without responsibility to the voters. Don't these guys realize that they're getting Trump reelected? I mean, this, this to me, this is the most alienating thing, and I don't think it's just me. You know, even the New York Times, a former newspaper, yeah. reported that George Soros has funded, I think, 52 of the groups that were co-sponsoring the Women's March. Right. And one interesting thing from talking to the women there, they were chanting, uh, Everyone is welcome here, unite, love, love Trump's hate, uh, all varieties on these things. And interspersed with that were horrible vulgarities. Screw you, I know. Screw you <laughs> in, in polite terms against the people who voted for Trump and Mike Pence. And uh, one thing I would find, I'd talk to all of these women, they'd, they'd rail against uh, Donald Trump and yada, yada, yada. And then I would say, well, what about the women who voted for Donald Trump? Believe it or not, there are some women who voted for Donald yeah, Trump. Quite, quite. I even know a couple. <laughs> yeah. And they would fall silent. And maybe a few seconds later, they would come up with some line about how, yeah. well, yeah, no, that's fine, but they're, they're uh, the not identi- really women. You know? The identity council, they're not really women. <laughs> that's I <know>. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate your going out there. I, I'm not... I mean, I guess I guess the whole thing is, you know, I once asked on Fo- Fox, the Fox Morning Show, I once said, why is now a leftist organization? Why isn't it just a female organization? Everybody laughed at me. But it's really an open question. Why, to be a woman, do you have to be on the left when, you know, plenty, I mean, it's almost half of women are pro-life or identify as pro-life. You know, why, why has the left co-opted this identity of 
femininity is ridiculous. Well, I think your point is quite right, which is that people hate God because they hate themselves, and they hate <laughs> representative institutions because they hate themselves. They hate their country because they hate themselves, and so on and so forth. And, uh, and these are women who have problems being who they are, basically. Exactly. And there, there is the point that when you no longer associate yourself with I am that I am, you're left with a pitiful and scary question, which is, who am I? <laughs> so I don't want to leave on that somber note, which is why I'll bring the, the present that I brought oh, for you. I brought oh, this present back. Oh, cool. uh, it was that nice little girl in that video yeah. gave me a Genocide, Theft, and Rape America Was Never Great sticker. Oh, I love it. I love so it. you can put it on your MAGA hat. I'm going to put it on Jeremy's door. <laughs> the door of Jeremy uh, Boring the God King. What? Yeah, yeah. What's that? Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much for doing that. You're a hero to your people for going out there. I appreciate it. We should mention that not all the women marching in this were actual women, because because I because I tease women a lot because I like to tease feminists because they're so crazy. But but and they lie all the time. And they yeah. lie all the time. But but I think we we should point out there are plenty of men out there who are just uh, just as nuts and uh, probably just as many men as women out there. And plenty of feminist icons like me. Uh, like you, exactly. And I, you, this is how you became a feminist icon. So the, so. <laughs> This is just the, the part of the nuttiness, okay? The next part of the nuttiness is what happens with this crowd thing. The press publishes this picture. I think we have it, where they compare the crowd at the inaugural to Obama's crowd, and Obama's crowd is bigger. And the so who cares, right? Guess who cares? <laughs> Donald Trump cares, and he's ticked off. And he says, it's not fair, it's not true. I was looking out, I saw a million people. And then Sean Spicer comes out and just this is his first appearance as official press secretary and he rips the press here's that the president is committed to unifying our country and that was the focus of his inaugural address this kind of dishonesty in the media the challenging that bringing about our nation together is making it more difficult there's been a lot of talk in the media about the responsibility to hold donald trump accountable and i'm here to tell you that it goes two ways we're going to hold the press accountable as well the american people deserve and as long uh, deserve better, and as long as he serves as the messenger for this incredible movement, he will take his message directly to the American people, where his focus will always be. No one loves to see the press get slapped around more than I do. You know, they, they've talked about changing where they have the press conferences. I'd like them to have the press meetings with the. Uh, with Sean Spicer in a room with trap doors. You know, I would <laughs> like to be able to drop media people through the trap doors. No, but the problem is this is the stuff they got right. You know, there probably was a smaller crowd. The, the uh, numbers coming out from the s subway system in Washington show there was probably a, su uh, a uh, smaller crowd. And Kellyanne Conway, this is the first time I've ever seen her bobble a ball. She made a mistake. She goes on and she, Chuck Todd is, is hammering her about this stupid, I mean, it's a stupid story. You know, if, if, if Trump weren't so thin-skinned, it wouldn't matter at all. You know, so what? He's a less popular president than a Barack Obama. People love Barack Obama despite the fact that all his policies don't work. They really are. I mean, it really is. Obama is such a master of narrative that people really do say, well, I'm out of work and I'm hooked on OxyContin and my kids are shooting up and killing each other. But God, I like the cut of that man's jib. You know, isn't he charming? Isn't he? You know, that's the way they talk. So so they don't like Trump. Fine. He has, uh, he has four years, probably eight years if these marches keep up, eight years to prove himself to change their mind. But Chuck Todd goes after her, and she points out that the press has been lying and lying and lying about Trump from the beginning, and this is true. They, uh, Zeke Miller, I think it was, from Time Magazine, reports that they took the Martin Luther King bust out of the Oval Office, right? 
And then it turned out that was completely untrue. And he apologized and said, well, somebody was standing in front of it, so I didn't see it. Well, crap. I mean, come on. That's an incendiary remark. Before you say that the president has removed Martin Luther King Jr.'s bust from the Oval Office, you better do an inspection and ask a question. Yeah, that, that is such a trashy thing, such a trashy excuse. And Kellyanne hits Chuck Todd with this, and they, they really get into it, and Kellyanne slips. We allow the press in, and what happens almost immediately? A falsehood is told about removing the bust of Martin Luther King Jr. from right. the Oval Office. That, no, that's just flat out false. And, the and pool it was writer, corrected immediately. But why, Chuck, but, why but was it said? No, Chuck, I mean, why was it said in the first place? Because everybody know. is so presumptively climb, negative. Climb into the head of that no, reporter. that it's okay. No, excuse me. Oh, no, 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 no. That reporter was writing to the, uh, on behalf of the press pool. That that falsehood got spread three thousand times but it does before not it excuse, was corrected. Excuse and me. It's still it does out not there. excuse. And you did not answer the question. I did you, answer no, your you question. Did not. You did yes, not answer did. the question of why the president asked the White House press secretary to come out in front of the podium for the first time and utter a falsehood. Why did he do that? It undermines the credibility of the entire White House press office no, it on doesn't. day don't one. Be so, don't be so overly dramatic about it, Chuck. What it, it, you're saying it's a falsehood, and they're giving Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that but the point remains alternative that facts alternative facts for the five facts he uttered the hey, one Chuck, thing he why, got hey, right Chuck. was Zeke Miller for the five facts he uttered were just not true look alternative facts are not facts they're falsehoods so so that was Kellyanne slipping up she's been so great she's been so smart she's danced around these people but that alternative facts is going to be stuck they're going to be stuck with that because this is war I mean these these two sides are war. what gets me about that exchange is both people are utterly in the wrong. Both people are utterly in the wrong. I mean, she, you know, Trump went before the CIA, the wall of remembrance, and he said, oh, the press has been lying. And the CIA applauds, which I love. The press is so, they made it sound like I had a feud with the CIA and that's silly and all this stuff. But of course, he was Trump, you know, he was tweeting when they released that thing about the Russian hookers and all this stuff. He, he, his tweet said, intelligence agencies should never allow this fake news to leak into the public. Are we living in Nazi Germany? So he was kind of having a feud with the intelligence agencies. I'm glad he went and made it right with them. He did the right thing by going in front of them so Matt Damon doesn't come and kill him because he's a CIA. Isn't he a CIA? I mean, we're living now in a world where everything's made up. So how do I know whether it's real or not? All, all I'm saying is is this. I, you know, Trump has been doing some really good things. His appointments are good. He says he's, gonna, he's frozen regulations already, I think. And he says he may cut them by 75%, which would be great. He's moving to end Obamacare. All this stuff is really good. But, it, you know, he gives the press credence when he's not telling the truth. The press is lying and lying and lying. Absolutely true. But then when he lies back, <laughs> where do we stand? And the rest of us are then put in this position of saying, well, you know, I, I mean, John Nolte wrote a piece. I haven't read it yet, so I won't comment on it. But the piece said Donald Trump is lying and I don't care. I can't go down that road. You know, I can't go down that road because there is both. It's kind of like spirit and body. You know, the, the things that Trump is doing to the body so far are great. You know, cutting regs, all that stuff, more freedom. So important. It's all so important. But we don't want to lose our spirits. We don't want to follow him down a, a, into a hole where we don't think the truth matters, where we become like the media we've despised for so long. We do not want to become what we've beheld. Nuts. But I'll tell you what I think. I tell you my honest opinion. Becoming president is a shock to the system. One day you're not. One minute you're not. And the next minute you are. And I think this team got a little bit, a little bit 
uh, what can I say, a little bit bamboozled by the position they were in. You know, like I said, you don't see Kellyanne drop a ball too often. She dropped that ball. I think, you know, they will calm down, and I think they'll get it right. But the press is after them tooth and nail, and they're going to have to learn how to strike back. They are doing something really new, which is slapping the press around, as they deserve. I mean, it's not a... It's not a uh, a violation of the First Amendment to give them hell and to give them back what they're what they're getting from them, but they're going to have to do it. They're going to have to walk in the truth if we're going to be able to support them as entirely as we'd all like to. All right, for stuff I like this week, I'm going to talk about liberals I like, and one of the things you will notice about them is they're all dead. <laughs> now, that's, which is not to say that the only good liberal is a dead liberal. <clears throat> I would never say such a thing. However, there was a time when a liberal could be a patriotic American. And when you look at these people out there with their signs saying America was never great, it, se- it really does seem like that time has passed. It seems like all the liberals are on the right. I mean, I'm a liberal. I consider myself a liberal. I want everybody to do as much of what he likes as he can. I'm not restrictive in my idea of your lifestyle. I don't care. It's not my business. You know, but I'm a conservative because conservatism preserves that liberal liberality. That was not always the case. It was the case that you could be a liberal and uh, and be a liberal. And the first guy I want to talk about is Paul Newman. And here's why. Paul Newman used to run the Republicans ragged. He stood up for uh, McGovern, uh, you know, he, he was a real radical and all this stuff, and he was always saying, you know, he, called, he called being a Republican emotional constipation or something like this. Great movie star, incredibly uh, good-looking, you know, really good parts. Uh, Bill Whittle frequently points out that liberal movie stars become famous by playing conservatives, and that is absolutely true with Newman. Newman was always playing the rebel, the outsider, the loner. Those are things that now are conservative icons. They used that used to be kind of a liberal icon as the guy who stands up against the machine. Now, if you will notice, <clears throat> if you will notice, there are no private detectives on TV anymore. Very few. Now, it's, now some are coming back because there's just so much TV. But almost every investigator on television now is a cop or a government guy. They all work for the government because the idea is the world has gotten too big and too complicated for anybody but the government and the experts to handle. The private eye, the lone guy who stands against corruption. As, as Paul Newman played in Harper, that character has vanished because the establishment is now Hollywood, the media, the government. They're all one thing. But in those days, Newman played rebels, and so he played really conservative characters. But the reason I bring him up is he started this business, a business. You, you've probably eaten Paul Newman popcorn, Paul Newman salad dressing, all these different things that Paul Newman uh, – uh, tomato paste. Uh, I used to work down the hall from Paul Newman, and I made a recommendation for him, and he would, they, his office would bring me uh, tomato paste, his free tomato paste, which he didn't realize at the time. That was like a, a meal for us. We were so starving, we were so poor, that that was a big deal for us. So I'd come in like, I would say, look, I would bring it home. I'd say, look, Mama, Paul Newman gave us the tomato sauce. We can, we can eat again, you know. So, <laughs> so but he gave that money to charity. He built a charity made on business. That is a conservative principle, right? You want to give to charity? Don't take my money. Don't, don't have the government come with their guns and take my money. Build a business. I pay for your popcorn. You give the money to charity because you've got enough. That is a conservative way to deal with the problems you had. So Paul Newman acted like a conservative, both on screen and off, but he talked like a liberal and supported liberal causes. His mistake, but still always thought he was a classy guy and a good guy. I mean, having worked uh, close to him, I got at least to observe him, and he was uh, uh, always a decent human being. 
All right, that's it. The craziness continues. I'm off to Phoenix, so I will be broadcasting from my hotel room tomorrow. I'm bringing my mic, so hopefully the sound will be good, and I'm bringing a camera, so hopefully the camera will be good. But as this gets crazier and crazier, stick with us, because this is it. This is the last bastion of sanity. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show.